We teach all who seriously commit themselves to Jesus to do everything he said to do. We teach all who seriously commit themselves to Jesus how to do everything he said to do. Now that vision both points to a future, but is also anchored in something. And that is that there is a way that things are. And this is not intuitive today. It doesn't matter whether the category is education theory or political theory or global economics or education theory. It doesn't matter what it is. Increasingly in our culture, we just kind of yell at each other, right? And the middle's being vacated and the margins are, are getting fuller and fuller and the yelling's getting louder and louder. And we now can know more facts than we've ever known. But wisdom... That's another matter. Wisdom seems to be disappearing amongst all the yelling because wisdom implies an actual knowing. When, when someone says back to you, well, th thank you, that was very wise. Well, what, what does someone mean when they say that? They mean you've allowed me to see something that I perceive and know to be real, that there is a way that things are. So yes, there is yelling we, I guess we probably mostly see it today in our political discourse. Lots of yelling. And what that yelling does in most people's guts is give them the impression that there isn't a way that things are. All there are are people's perceptions of the way that things are. But there isn't, there isn't actually a way that things are. But for me, I can only have a vision like we teach all who seriously commit themselves to Jesus how to do everything he said to do. That's only possible for me because I believe Jesus actually knows what he's talking about. I think that Jesus has the best information possible on what it means to be human in the image of God. That it's a string that runs through all the ups and downs of human history, right? Just think of, I mean, we can't even do it in this moment. The ups and downs of human history are innumerable, they're bitterly painful. You know, you rejoice in the occasional amazing person or amazing group of people. The ups and downs of history are just staggering, right? But a line goes between all that that had its beginning in the Trinitarian God deciding to create. Can you just kind of hold that for a second? This trinity of beings before there was nothing in the way that we've come to understand something. There was nothing. Speaks something into existence and begins then this divine narrative that will one day be fulfilled in the renewing of the heavens and the earth. That string was best articulated by the person, work, and teachings of Jesus. He embodies the harmony of what God intended by the disparate notes. He brings it into tune and it's only believing that that we can say, well, what's Holy Trinity all about? Well, we teach all who seriously commit themselves to Jesus how to do everything he said to do. I mean, that is to say we're actually learning to love our enemies. That's just not rhetoric to us. And we find the broken bits of our heart that doesn't allow that to happen intuitively. And we learn to notice it and name it without judgment or guilt. And just gently with Jesus and the Spirit and in a community with the Word of God working on us, we just, we just begin to move in the direction of harmonizing our lives with the great harmony that there was given to us in Jesus. So for me, I mean, I assume this is true for many of you too, but I happen to have the microphone right now. For me, as we come to our eighth anniversary, that vision is clear as compelling as it's ever been for me. 
that our sense of purpose of seeking the transformation of our souls into Christ's likeness for the sake of others, for the sake of being instruments of goodness in our spheres of influence, that's as clear and compelling as it was eight years ago. It's just a delight to picture you being formed in this community and then going into your friendships and families, your neighborhoods, your schools, those of you who work in the healthcare industry, wherever you might work. Just, it's such a delight to think that you are going back there as agents of the kingdom and agents of goodness. Well, for me, publicly, this got expressed in this Anglican way. And so this meant for me, a big part of my kind of working hypothesis eight years ago was how can I take formation public, that is to say, make it central, using the liturgy as spiritual practices. And for me, undergirding this was a big why. You know, there's a famous book right now, First Ask Why. And for me, the big why was that we're trying to align ourselves to Jesus's gospel and his aims. That the transformation of our souls is to bring us into alignment with what Jesus thought was happening in and through him and to do that for the sake of others. That's what I meant last week when I said, I, I feel like more and more my ministry feels like it's kind of boiling down to how can we just take Jesus serious and all that that might mean. But what would it mean to just wonder about him and the things he taught? And then to become his apprentices in our actual lives. You know, the language that you see on the front of your bulletin, and I, I think it's out front there too, of rest and reflect and redirect, that's just not rhetoric to us. I mean, again, if you can do this without judging yourself, just ask yourself how much Sabbath you have in your life. And, you know, the Sabbath, I don't mean that as a legalism. I mean, just, just reflect for a minute. How much actual Sabbath? The Hebrew word just simply means stop. Like, how much stop do you have in your life? I know for me, it's getting harder and harder to find. And I actually crave it. But to just stop, to pause, to rest. And then in that rest, to reflect about what's real about me and God. And then to, again, with joy, childlike joy, just to redirect myself to him as his apprentice. And then we've tried to give you a way to do that here and in public that this public space that we create for you week in and week out would be one that's marked by quiet so that you can rest. I mean, I'm, I'm supposed to be sort of an expert on church, you know, after 40 years of doing this and studying it. And I can just tell you that the main thing that's happening out there, and I totally get this, I don't mean this to slam anybody, is that, well, you know, you have to kind of meet people where they are. Well, that means everybody knows that human beings are going like this and that they're constantly ginned up and full of adrenaline. And so then the idea is, well, then we have to make church that does that because we have to meet you on the, you know, where you are. And I, I get the impulse, I really do. I'm just simply saying, I'm not sure it works. That at some point there is him with whom we have to do. And to teach us to do everything that Jesus said to do, I think just requires reflection and reflection can't happen without quiet. And then assisted by beauty and thoughtfulness all within the rhythms of this Anglican liturgy. So you've probably noticed that we keep it simple around here and just, you know, our, our all-purpose fallback position is, is, you know, what's the loving thing to do? We keep it simple. We try to keep it rooted in love. We purposely have a very simple leadership and organizational structure. We don't tend to try to fix spiritual problems with programs or we don't try to fix the lack of love with rules. Rather, we seek to facilitate a spiritual dynamic within the church that facilitates the formation of our souls into Christ's likeness. This is why we chose for our gospel reading this morning this passage at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It's just meant to be imaginative. 
What might it mean to put Jesus's words into practice? That's just a different way of saying what I mean when I say take him serious. So, I mean, just think about this. Again, if you think Jesus was conscious, he's now at the end of arguably the greatest religious teaching in the history of the universe. And he looks at this crowd. He says, now, but here's what's important about what I just said. If you merely hear it and don't put it into practice, your life is still gonna be built on the sand, which for them meant you're still gonna be in exile and in bondage to sin and stuck and need of deliverance. But if you hear these words of mine and put them into practice, your life will be like built on the rock. Like if you hear these teachings of mine and actually place your confidence in them, like if they don't just stay to you religious rhetoric, but you look at me, but you actually think they represent the way that things are, right? Was Jesus just giving his opinion? I mean, somebody could think that and that's fine. But if you're gonna follow him, we have to come to the conclusion that he wasn't just simply giving another paradigm that sort of sits next to Plato and it sits next to Aristotle and it sits next to the Buddhist teachings and Zoroastrianism and it's, you know, it's just another perspective. Well, that's how he doesn't get taken serious because how would you take him serious? But if you think that, when, that his teachings in the Sermon on the Mount they are meant to harmonize from pre-creation intentionality to telos to fulfillment. They are meant to harmonize and to level what needs to be leveled and bring up what needs to be brought up so that it all then fits the plan of God. Now, once you see that, then you'll begin to think of him as master. And once you begin to think of him as master, you have the potential to give yourself to him as his student. If he is not master, if he does not reflect things as they actually are, we will not place our confidence in him. So what we've tried to do here is shape an overall vibe of the church and a worship experience in which you could receive this as a gift of a space, like, like an atmosphere, a vibe, an ethos, there where you could experience the heart of Paul, where in this space and in this community you could feel cared for. Look at your passages, 1 Thessalonians 2. That you could feel that Christ's life, Christ's life is becoming more visible in your life that Christ is beginning to dwell in your hearts through faith and that you are being rooted and established in love and filled to the measure of the fullness of God and being equipped for works of service and attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I mean, week in and week out, again, I've been doing this since I was 19, I'm 61, so what's the math there? 42 years I've been doing this, standing here and doing this for 42 years. And I have never had a congregation like this that is as thoughtful for the most part, not all of you, but for the most part, highly educated. Most of you work in professional jobs. Lots of you have been in ministry. Now, some of us are normal. Like I always tease Todd to be Todd one. I'm Todd two because I tell him it goes like this. Cal Poly Pomona, Stanford. Like, okay, I get it. I'm normal, <laughs> right? But overall, I mean, there's sort of a, there's a depth here. And, and I, I think I can speak for Beth and the vestry and others who have helped lead and build this, that we are very aware. I mean, part of the reason we're not, we're, we're not constantly nagging you for stuff is because we know your life in the kingdom is in the world, that you're a sacrament in the world. Lots of you have ministries in the world, and we realize that this is a space and a place in which you can find nourishment for your own walk and your own work. So we sometimes talk about being on the journey inward and the journey outward, and those two things work together because for me at least, spiritual formation is by its very nature missional. 
And as we're formed into the likeness of Christ, we increasingly share God's infinitely tender love for others. We deepen our compassion for the poor, the broken, and the lost. We ache and pray and labor for others in a new way, a selfless way, a joy-filled way. And our hearts are enlarged towards all people and toward all of creation. That's what happens when our own souls are being formed to Christ. So we've noticed a little pattern over these eight years that when people come to Holy Trinity, and we just talked about this in our adult formation class, uh, virtually everybody there who shared talked about coming to this place, kind of burned out, a done, a nun, yet kind of spiritually mature, as I said, kind of well-educated professional people, but often healing from some prior experience and in search of rest and healing. And then people are here for a while and they, they get comfortable in both good and bad ways, right? They, they get comfortable kind of finding what they're looking for. They learn to trust that what we're doing here at Holy Trinity is authentic. We mean it. It's enduring. It's meaningful. And then after a while, they begin to get confident again. Truly belonging, they become vulnerable and open and willing to take risks. They recognize that the period of healing and arrest was a, a season for them that God allowed them to come to know him again more authentically and to trust people and to trust the church again. And then we watch how people become stimulated again to be creators of good, of living out of the abundance of a transformed life, that they naturally become ambassadors of the kingdom. But this is non-anxious because it flows out of transformed lives. We don't have to do anything much different because we are becoming different. I mean, I've said to the, I forget what we call this team now, but the uh, the refugee resettlement team. I've said to them in private, and I should say in public, I mean, I just can't tell you how happy that kind of stuff makes me, and that it was not something that was like the church, you know, like top-down gave to people. And that's just an example. I, I think it's true of everything. I think it's true of I Sanctuary. I think it's true of Sonora. I think it's true of virtually everything we're doing. It has bubbled up out of you guys. And nothing puts a bigger smile on my face um, than that, of seeing us experiencing this rest, reflect, redirect in an aesthetic of thoughtfulness and quiet and beauty and it forming life-giving lives out of us. Well, I've taught on this like all over the world and I don't think I've ever showed you. So I thought, well, I should show you. <laughs> um, it, like when I try to think, like what's the big deal? Like if I'm stuck in an elevator and I have to explain to people what it is we think we're trying to do, it goes something like this. Jesus came proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. That was his whole overarching work. He literally taught on virtually nothing else but the inbreaking of God's kingdom. And then he said, come follow me. And you know, he said things like, to do so means to repent and believe. Well, we're saying yes to that. We're saying, yes, we think you know what you're talking about. And we've heard your call to repent and follow you. We're saying yes. Okay, now how do we do that? Well, for us, we do it through this mix of word. We take the word of God very seriously. I think you know that. We take the person and work of the spirit completely seriously. Um, we take sacraments seriously and we take the spiritual disciplines or practices seriously. And so all that kind of rolls up into this thing in which we're trying to then become ambassadors of the kingdom who can announce the goodness of the kingdom, demonstrate it in acts of kindness and justice and to embody it in our way of being. And this, of course, gives us then the essential otherliness, that all this flows from the gospel of the kingdom down to living in, uh, aligning our lives ever more closely with that kingdom and always doing so not for the sake of our own mere piety, but for the sake of others. And so our future lies in living in alignment with the gospel and aims of Jesus 
in doing it together in terms of our time and money and energy being expended in alignment with this, in alignment with the love of God, learning to love him and each other and our neighbor. And I, again, I have to say, I've been at this a long time and I've been around some of the biggest Christian movements uh, the last 40 years in the world. And I've seen God do amazing things, but I just can put my hand over my heart and say, the compliments and testimonies that we hear from those who have been blessed by what we've been doing here the last few years are some of the most profound I've heard over these decades of ministry. And I want you to hear a couple of them now. 